There's a smart new website that will change the way you invest using social media. Like Folio. Here to explain a team of brothers, Andy and Landon Swan, of Like Folio. And they've always been building out great technology at the intersection of social and trading. Powered by unique social data. Analyzed by legendary traders. The Like Folio broadcast starts right now. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Landon Swan is out uh, due to illness today, and so it's me and Nick today covering. We're going to just get back to the basics, I think. I do want to say before we get started, the Benzinga Fintech Awards, it's going to be May, I think it's 10th or 11th. I'll get more details on this show, but it's going to be a good time, and I want to see everybody there. Is it in the same location as last year? Yes. Okay. Same well, location. It's a nice spot. Yeah, it's really cool. In New York, May 10th or 11th. In Tribeca. Yeah. Um, and it's a great, it's a, it's just a good day. Um, so I'll be there, um, and you can say hi. Last time we brought some Pappy, so hopefully we'll do that again mm-hmm. and have a good time. So, um, if you want more information, either listen to further episodes of Like Folio Podcast, which is what I suggest, Strongly or suggest that. Google Benzinga Fintech Awards, and I'm sure uh, all the details will be there. No, but, you don't want to do that. No, just listen. Who Googles things? Yeah, just listen. Um, so I want to get back to the basics kind of of investing, because I think that one thing we get really quickly, most shows, we get really quickly into um you know, what's the social data saying? How's that going to impact the stock going forward? And then jump into an options trade. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do today was just kind of rewind a little bit because I've gotten a little bit of feedback that sometimes we're over people's heads a little bit or their experience level, really. And um, just get back to the basics. So I, the, the thing I uh, have been writing this week and thinking about is, you know, how much information the general consumer has that um, would be advantageous for an investor to understand and how good normal people are at spotting trends and they just don't take advantage of it, right? So it's not necessarily about sitting down and figuring out PE ratios and projecting next year's income statement and how can I uh, you know, run that versus a technical analysis and all these kinds of an analytical things. A lot of times it just comes down to what is actually working in yeah, the just, main street just, marketplace. Just sit back and look. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you can spot things if you, obviously not in every market, but you know, you have your expertise in certain markets and you can spot trends taking place and you can spot that it's early in that trend and potentially take advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, um, well, let's go through some examples. All right. So these are just examples like from the past decade because I really wanted to just zoom out and think about how big some of these shifts can be. Um, I can specifically remember about nine or ten years ago, Oprah on her show talking about how much she loved her Blackberry. And she was, I think, even calling it a Crackberry, mm. right? A term that got taken out, you know, that, that was everywhere because everybody was addicted to Blackberries. Everybody had one. And then the iPhone came out and you started seeing people switching away from Blackberry and like iPhone had an app store and it was 
totally different. No mm-hmm. keys on it. And there was a lot of initial hate too. I remember that. And when you hate, then you, when they hate, you know you're doing something. That's right. That's a good point. Um, I think I was an initial hater. I loved my BlackBerry, and I didn't want to give up buttons. I thought it was stupid to make a phone without buttons. But you know, the App Store just absolutely App Store. Everything that the iPhone had was so much better. Oh yeah, just right? the ecosystem they created was amazing. But now listen to this. So you could see at some point. After the Apple iPhone was announced, you could see that the iPhone was destroying BlackBerry market share. Like you could see that just in your daily life. And you could see that trend happening. Well, over the past 10 years, so since that date pretty much, 10 years ago, BlackBerry stock was about 140 per share. Okay. And Apple stock was about 12 per share. Wow. Today, BlackBerry stock is at about 9 per share, 8 or 9 per share. And Apple stock is at 145 per share. So basically, they switched spots. Sure. They switched spots completely. And but at many <clears throat> points along that route, you could have, you didn't have to be the first one to spot it. You could have spotted it three years in and still made 90 points on Apple or 50 points shorting BlackBerry. Apple's at 145 after a 7 to 1 split. This is split adjusted. Oh, it's split adjusted? Split okay. adjusted, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, so you've got... The, the other point is you didn't have to see it that day. You didn't have to see it the day that Steve Jobs went out there and held up the brand new device that was going to change the world. Mm-hmm. At any point over the next three years, four years, five years, still today, BlackBerry's near lows and Apple's at all-time highs. Right? Yeah. So major shift anybody could have seen. I'm in a heck of a Paris trade. Yeah, we should have done that. <laughs> did you do that? No, I didn't. I probably did it like five different times. I mean, yeah, I've made money off, off uh, Apple Long and BlackBerry Short, you know, a few times trading in and out, but definitely didn't have a long-term Paris trade going on there. Yeah. So that's how you can see a competitive shift creating a big opportunity. Okay? The second example is a little bit different. I think it's a disruptive product, like a truly no one's ever seen this before kind of concept, which I guess you could kind of argue the iPhone was, but everybody had a mobile device, at least in their hand at that point. Well, if you think back, even just five or six years ago, how many people were renting movies either at a kiosk, what's it called? Redbox. Redbox, or even at uh, Blockbuster stores. Or even Netflix had its own, that's how it started, right? It was yeah, mailing, mail, mail it to your house. Mailing you DVDs. Then something happened with the internet where people got high-speed stuff, and Netflix figured out how to compress videos and deliver high quality over almost any type of stream. And everybody started talking about Netflix. Um, when would you say that you think you started hearing where literally 7 out of 10 of your friends you would guess had had Netflix. Not until around 2013, probably. Yeah, 2013. I think that sounds about right. So since 2012, Netflix stock is up 14-fold. Yep, I buy that. 14, whatever that is, 1,300%, 1,400%. That's major. Over for the last five years. So again, you didn't have to be there, right, as Netflix Netflix came out of the box. Yeah. You had to be there once you saw a tipping point in society. 
and then just kind of hold on for the ride. Now, remember, these don't always work out. I but, remember the Coinstar play, which Coinstar is the company yeah. that owns Redbox. And they were they were really kind of the first disruptor. And they they came out and were kind of crushing Blockbuster. Because everyone was like, dude, it's so cool. You go to McDonald's, there's these kiosks called Redbox out front. Yep. You go, you know, just step up there, you touch the screen, and you got your movie, and you can take it back to any Redbox you want. Like everyone thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I thought it was pretty cool too, honestly. Yeah, I never did it. I did it all the time. Yeah. So Coinstar, CSTR, ticker symbol, um, I actually made some money on that going along. I wrote a few blogs about it back in the day. And then Netflix, their, their mail business wasn't quite, you know, never really quite caught on major as soon as they went to streaming, like you said. Whole different ball game, and they just crushed everybody. Man, it, I mean, it, Redbox is still around, unlike unlike uh, Blockbuster, but that's just because their overhead's so much lower. And I don't know the last time I rented from Redbox, probably two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I never see. You used to see, and they were almost at every McDonald's. Yep, and I'm sure McDonald's was getting a good piece of everything yeah, that was they had going a deal. on. And um, yeah, you used to see people. You would actually see people in line at the, like, lined up, you know, not not too many people, but two or three people waiting to get their uh, Redbox movie out. Now you see people going up to it every once in a while because they got a DVD player at home. They don't, you know, they probably don't have high speed internet or whatever. It's just old habits. Um, Or they want to watch a real crispy Blu ray or they want to rent video games because you can rent video games out of there too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, Is somebody doing Netflix for video games? Only the mail, the Gamefly. There's, I think the streaming video games you can just kind of stream from Xbox Live and yeah, like Steam PS. and those type of services. Well, I think like Xbox, like if you have Xbox Live, you can download games onto your hard drive and do trial periods and then yeah. maybe buy it. I don't know. I don't. I'm not a big gamer. We have an Xbox. My son's kind of into it for just like the sports games. And while I get what you're saying, why that would be an advantage to somebody that's really into gaming, he's not. We're not. So actually, it turns out to be super annoying because all the time they want you to log in using your Microsoft credentials so sure. that they can validate this or that. And I'm like, I just want to put the disc in. I want it to be like the old Nintendo. I just want to put the disc in <laughs> and play the game. I don't need to update the rosters. I don't need to update the injuries based on today's action in the NBA. I just want to play the game. Right. Sure. So um, that's kind of frustrating. So that's my second example is Netflix. Netflix. And it's, where the first one was a major competitive shift, you know, away from BlackBerry and towards Apple iPhone. This one is more of just a complete disruption of everything that's going on because nobody's renting DVDs anymore. There's no physical DVD anymore. They just completely replaced that uh, with over the air. So the major, uh, major shift. And then the third is what the third point I wanted to make on this is just kind of what we talk about every day. And that is that you don't actually have to see these yourself in person because you're only going to see a few of them based on your friend circle, your interests and things like that. But with social data, that's the whole point of what we're doing at Likefolio. And that is to see, all right, what are people talking about that they weren't talking about two years ago? What company are they talking about buying from that they weren't talking about buying from two years ago or they were talking about buying from someone else a year ago? And so that, kind of like the Nike and Adidas we've talked about many times. They were talking about buying from Nike a year ago. Yeah. Now they're talking about buying from Adidas. Exactly. I'm in that circle. I saw that trend. I went to the social data to confirm what I was seeing. It confirmed what I was seeing. Look at the stock. Yeah. And we got um, FedEx out of that as well. Sure. Which FedEx, that's not in my circle. I have no idea who anybody ships through. I would never talk about shipping 
with anyone ever. <laughs> what do you mean, dude? That's not the most exciting <laughs> conversation. But we knew about FedEx because people were talking about shipping with FedEx in the yeah. fourth quarter um, being down. We, that one was down. Bearish, yeah. yeah, we were bearish on that because people were talking about it less. Home Depot we were positive on because people were talking about that more. Chipotle, we saw a turnaround in Chipotle coming for 2017. Did you see that? It's at like 450 bucks now. Of course I saw it. We're up about 60 bucks on that, maybe 55. Um, so that's nice to see. But so I was wondering, Nick, what, like if you could look into the future, like this is not, we're not trying to make any stock predictions. So don't even, don't even think about stock predictions right now. And you're not going to be held to this, but let's start thinking, look into the future a little bit. And what massive trends are happening in the marketplace or big time shifts in consumer behavior. And we'll just try to think, you know, what I'll start self-driving cars. Yeah, I'll do. You took it right out of my mouth. <laughs> so I was, I was going to go from transition from Tesla being a major disruptor in the auto industry, not in the sense of, you know, they're building cars, which cars already exist, but in mm-hmm. the sense of everything else they're doing, the technolo- technological advancements with the cars getting the cars super fuel efficient, or obviously no fuel, just super efficient, energy efficient as a whole. And the next step has to be self-driving cars. So in the future, you know, kids two generations from now are going to be like, what? You drove? Yeah. You know, like, what? I don't even know if it'll be two generations from now. Like, what? You had garages on your houses? Right. Like, what? You know, just like, Kids these days are like, what? You had a Walkman? You put a cassette tape inside of a Walkman? Like, what is that? Totally crazy. They look in the cabinet and they're like, what is this thing? It's a DVD player. That was the coolest thing I could have gotten. I mean, I got it when I was not that particular one, but I got a DVD player, I think, when I turned 21. So that would be 98 or 99. That was like the coolest thing. Oh, yeah. And and inexpensive. And very expensive. You were a baller if you had a DVD player. All right. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah, so there's there's going to be a major disruption in the whole vehicle situation, you know, driving, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So who wins that? So does does Uber win that? Lyft win that? Does a manufacturer win that, like Ford or Tesla? Or is Tesla just like the one that's just kind of getting out there and taking all the arrows in its back and being the pioneer and developing all these crazy technologies and then someone else that has dealerships in every city in the country is – going to spring up and say, okay, we can do that too. Sure. Someone has all the distribution yeah. in the heavyweight. Maybe I don't know. Right? I mean, I mean, honestly, because I think Tesla's super highly respected for what they've done and, you know, they were first to market. There's always something to be said about first to market with advancements of their magnitude. Plus you got Elon Musk. This guy is just going to strong arm his way into any situation. So if somebody starts competing big time, he'll figure out a way to stay competitive or unite forces with that entity. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I I kind of agree with that. I also think that the whole combination of a, I think Lyft is working with GM. I think that's right. Maybe it's Ford. But anyway, I think the combination of one of these, you know, because eventually I think Uber and Lyft, both their whole play right now is just they're using drivers to establish customers in a network, but their model doesn't work until it's self-driving, right? Until they can eliminate that expense and take 100% of every trip and offer them for 50% of the price that they're offering now. It's going to be a beautiful day for us and them. Yeah, then everything works. So I think that those partnerships are kind of a cool idea, the Uber or Lyft with a 
maker, an automobile manufacturer that can develop, you know, self-driving technology, that could be the way it all works out, you know, because then car ownership kind of disappears. Car manufacturers make cars for a network that just is working out there and sending them, you know, a percentage of every ride that happens through the Uber Lyft network and app. I don't know. That's Are why there I any think uh, publicly traded insurance companies that have like the majority of their insurance policies as auto insurance? Wow, that's a great. Because if there are, we should start shorting them now. Yeah, because they have to go away. Well, they don't have to fully go away. These, these companies are probably still going to have to insure the cars a bit, but the efficiency of self-driving cars is going to be greatly increased. You know, you're going to have way less wrecks, so the overall price of insurance is going to go down. So the ability to make money in the auto insurance industry is going to be greatly reduced. Yeah, it will. And I've wondered about that. I don't know. I think we should put that as a note. I want to look that up. Um, because I think most auto insurers that are big enough to be public have many, many different insurance products that they're offering. I would, I would agree with that, but I don't want to make that conclude. I don't want to jump to that conclusion without at least right. looking into it. So we'll look it up. And if there's one that is primarily um, auto insurance that's public, We'll bring it up on the next uh, podcast. So that's a good idea. All right. So, what other major shifts are we? Are we? How, how long have we been going right now? We are in for eighteen minutes. All right. So one more. Um, what What other major shift are you seeing? It can be tech, fashion, whatever consumer facing stuff. Are you seeing that uh, we could kind of try to figure out where? And we're not trying to figure out, you know, the stock right now sure. to play. Because like I said, with Netflix, you had years to get into that trade. At iPhone, you had years to get into that trade. So it's all about you know identifying early megatrends mm-hmm. and then how you can possibly start looking for stocks as you go. Sure. Okay, so two that come to mind. One I've kind of already discussed before in a previous podcast, Home Automation, so I don't really want to touch on that. What are your thoughts... This is this was kind of big two years ago. It kind of fallen off, but it's still very much alive from a from like a, a large scale perspective. What do you think about three D printing houses taking over you know, the whole construction industry? Just planting this device on a plot of land and it three D prints a house over I, over a period of days or weeks. That's going on in China, isn't it? They're doing it somewhere like that? I've seen, I, I don't know specifically where it's going on, but I know there's definitely advancements taking place right now and leaps and bounds yeah. on that front. I've seen time-lapse videos of these things happening, and it looks extremely impressive. And it's only going to get faster <coughs> and better. Yeah, it makes complete sense to me that you would have machines eventually that could build houses or at least do a bulk of the really nasty, heavy stuff. Yeah, like the bones of the structure. Yeah. And then the humans come in and put the drywall and do the mudding and taping and Sure. For now at least. Sure. Or do the you know, any finishing touches, that sort of thing. Um I also th- I also think I'm not completely sold on the idea of one machine coming out and just building a house as much as I am a the development of a modularity of home building so that you can just say, all right, we're going to go kitchen shopping today. 
and here's the kitchen I want, and it'll plug into this unit of house that I'm trying to design, right? Like, mm-hmm. almost just think about, like, why is it so... Why are we still going and saying, I want that appliance, and I want to put it on the left side? I mean, who cares? If At, at some point, I know that this is how... Um, you know, apartment builders and things like that and multi fam, multi unit builders think about things. It's always just like, all right, we're going to need 82 kitchens exactly sure, like exactly. this. Right. And it seems like to me, and I'm not seeing this as a trend. So it just seems like something I'm bringing up out of nowhere, but it seems like to me that same type of functionality could be taken to the consumer market in, in terms of home building. Um, and not just, or renovation. Yeah. Or renovation. Like, um, you know, here's this set of cabinets. You're starting to see some of that pop up. I'm starting to see like Ikea kind of nails that or tries to get after that a little bit. Yeah. I hear what you're saying though. Like increase, there's, there's so many inefficiencies in that process, in the renovation process. Crazy time inefficiencies you have to go to this place to look at the, this piece of furniture this place to look at this appliance and you got to be all over the place this person's got to come out and install it and he doesn't show up until the next day instead of it just being all one thing that's kind of going into my yeah I mean, i've, <laughs> I've done day. three kitchens now in my <laughs> right. in, in my lifetime so i know exactly what it's like yeah and it is i mean when you now now i'm sitting here thinking about it yeah it's a total inefficient pain in the butt i think i've seen on um, HGTV, we watched that one show with Chip and Joanna Gaines, Fixer Upper. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen ads during that where you can go online and create your own cabinet solution in like 3D rendering and all this stuff. And That's then cool. it's custom built and delivered and installed in your house. You just like upload your measurements and all that stuff. And then you can go in and, um, do it all online. And, and then they cut, they come out and install it in kind of in one big, swath like that so that's kind of cool i don't know that that's a trend um we'll see but i i hear you on the um, people are so particular about every little detail and wanting things to be different than others that's the only thing that can can harm that yeah Um, at a certain level at a certain price point but i think there's price points below that between you know i'm living in an 82 story apartment building between there and I'm building a house in a subdivision that's going to be the house of my dreams. Mm-hmm. There's some line in there where you're going to get massive efficiencies and you're going to bring home prices way down because you can deliver those efficiencies. I think that's what you're talking about, too, with just the idea of 3D printing a house. Well, we're right. on the topic of home, home-related inefficiencies. Another area, real quick, where I just don't understand why it's still around in this day of technological advancements is realtor fees. Like why do we pay 6% of our multi-hundred-thousand-dollar home situation out to somebody that works for a few hours? It's insane. I think, especially on the sell side, listing your house, I mean, literally, that's throwing a sign in the yard, that's filling in a form on MLS. MLS is the whole deal. Yeah. If you're on MLS, you're good to go, no matter who's listing it. When we sold our house, this was nine years ago. I used a flat fee MLS service, cost me 500 bucks. Got me on MLS. It got me just as many views. Actually, got me more than the realtor that we had used prior to that. Same price. We got it sold very quickly. Um, so I think on the sell side, that's we, 
I'm fine with give if you bring me a buyer as an agent, I'm fine with giving you three percent. It's worth it to me. I think that buyers agents have a lot of value because they are taking people home to home. They're listening to what the person wants and they're showing the home in a way that helps it sell. So they're essentially playing the role of a curator. Yeah. I mean, they're delivering you potential customers is what I would think of it as. I think that's pretty valuable. I don't think it's, I don't think it's worth 3% on the, on the sell side. My, my main gripe is why is it worth a percentage and why is it not just a fixed? Oh. You know, I mean, why just because I am rich enough to live in a $20 million house, do I have to pay you a ridiculous yeah. amount of money? I mean, it's just, it's just out of control. Well, those are negotiable though. I've always negotiated for less, but I agree. I don't know why it's percentage based. Yeah. You're not going to get anything below 2%, you know, on each side. Right. I mean, the, this, the, the, the buyer's agent is going to come in and demand 3% pretty much no matter what. Yeah. Your agent isn't going to take any more than any less than 2% in pretty much any case. So here's what you do. If you think that's all true, and I'm with you, I think that the whole thing needs a complete revamp. The only way that happens if, is if guys like me and you, people listening to this podcast, if we just for sale by owner, we go flat fee MLS, 500 bucks, we sell our house, we don't offer anything to the buyer's agent, and we just see, does that work? Because that has to work for you to say that there's no value to the agents. Mm -hmm. And then... Maybe there is value to the agents, but let's figure out what that value is. The only way you get there is by saying, I'm going to try it with no agents. Because as a buyer, that's what I would prefer. I think, wow, all right, they're selling it for sale by owner. Probably they have 5 6% available to negotiate here that mm -hmm. otherwise they wouldn't because 6% is going out the door. That's crazy. Exactly. It is crazy when you think about it. $500,000 house, 30 it's a lot of money. grand's going out the door. It's a lot of money, man. I know. It makes it so, it makes it so difficult. It also, it really reduces the liquidity in the housing market because I think that I would probably move and switch houses much more often if it weren't for First of all, it costs a lot of money to move. Yeah, your stuff. I was just like gonna. Just, I was just gonna just say to, the, it's the, so annoying. The time expense of it's boxing things up, awful. plus the literal expense of paying a moving company. Yeah, I know. I think the next place I buy, I just want it to be all furnished, and I just want to leave my stuff behind too, yep. except for you know the sentimental stuff. Um, anyway, I agree with you. I don't know who's changing that though. I think that was the promise of Zillow, but. I don't know that they're really doing it. I think they're just all they've really done referrals is, to agents. Exactly. All they've really done is give buyers another platform to go and look for homes to potentially have their realtor take them to. Yeah. And then I really think that they send you, I think that they inflate those Zestimates. Oh, the Zestimates are so wrong. And I think that's actually hurt their brand a, a lot. Yeah, because you can't sell for that price. They send you that so that you you become interested in selling. Because I guarantee you, they figured out the first time they sent them five or ten percent above market, whatever it is. The first time time they sent above market, they got more responses mm -hmm. of people looking to sell, and that's what they sell to agents. So it's just, I mean, it's, what's, tar it's what's tarnishing the, their brand. Yeah, though, what's the point? People see how how bad these estimates are like how far off they are. And they're like, well, this isn't a reliable source for me then. 
you know? Yeah. Like they should they should almost just completely squash this estimate. Yeah. It's useless. I mean, honestly, Zillow's kind of useless. If you have an agent, you have MLS. And what do you need Zillow for? I have no idea. Exactly. They they tried to be a disruptor, like you said, but you got to have the whole formula in order to really disrupt. Yep. And they they didn't they kind of had a small piece, but they failed. Well, maybe we're going to look for opportunities to short Zillow. Short Zillow. <laughs> <laughs> Buy Zillow. Um, cool. So that's what I wanted to go over today was just like getting back to the basics. Think like a customer. Look around. What are your friends doing? What are people in the generation above you and below you doing? I mean, Snapchat, great example. It. The problem with those is they go public much later now. So there's, yeah, they do. the trend is already uh, baked in, it seems like. But anyway, look generation above, generation below. Look at your friend circle. Look for shifts in consumer behavior that you can see and feel for yourself. And then uh, you can also look like folio data can help you see things that are outside of those circles that you don't normally interact with. And we can start to see, all right, what's going on? Where's the big money going to be made? Because um, no one has to lose for something to go up. The BlackBerry lost to Apple, but and Blockbuster lost to Netflix. I guess some people are going to lose a little bit, but overall wealth can be can be uh, created in a big way, and we can all participate in that Absolutely. As, uh, as consumers and investors. I agree, hundred percent. All right. Also, I think everybody should be thinking on how to be how to treat travel agents like Priceline treated travel agents with regard to realtors. Oh, I like that. Think of all the intricacies. Let's figure this whole thing out. Yeah. Let's price line the real estate industry. I like it. In fact, I might just go put my house up for sale tomorrow on Zillow <laughs> at their stupid Zestimate price. And if somebody says yes, I'm out. Right? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> no agent needed. No I'm agent out. needed. I'm out. Uh, all right, cool. On Friday, Landon will be back. We'll get into some... Um, We'll get into some stocks that we are seeing uh, interesting stuff with like folio data on. And I hope you guys are having a great week and continue to do so. Get better, Landon. 